Well, we've been in a little uh, series before we get back into the uh, book, a book of the Bible per se. Usually we teach through a text of Scripture. Just finished up Matthew at the end of the year, and so we'll be probably um, heading off into maybe Second uh, Peter for a short time, and then uh, possibly something else, <laughs> one of the other books that we haven't been through yet. So uh, still praying about that. But we've been in a little series called The Uncompromised Church. And last week, we asked the question, what's the big deal about the church? And in our society today, people probably want to know what the big deal about the, the church is. And we looked at uh, basically four things. And um, uh, the first thing was the Lord is building His church. All right, if the Lord is building the church, then maybe we should be interested in it since we are the Lord's. We are His children. We are... Um, Christians, we follow Christ, and the Bible says clearly that that Christ builds the church. It's not up to a bunch of programs or schemes to build the church. It's God that adds to his church. And then secondly, we looked at the church as part of God's eternal plan. This isn't a temporary thing. We're going to be the church in heaven. We're going to be with the Lord forever. And even before eternity passed, God set into motion, the Bible says, the purpose and plan of the church. It wasn't a reaction to Adam and Eve sinning. It was part of his divine plan. It says that that the Lord Jesus Christ was appointed before the foundation of the world to die for the sins of the world. So it's clearly part of his eternal plan. And if something's part of God's eternal plan, maybe we should have a little interest in it. And then thirdly, we looked at the church as the most precious reality on earth. It's the most precious reality on earth. There's nothing more precious to God on earth than His church. We live in a world and a society where they think everything else is precious. The trees are precious, and the greenery is precious, and certain animals are precious. And, oh, they, you know, turn everything over to to save a little frog or something. I mean, I'm not against little frogs, don't get me wrong. But I think that maybe... You know, God gave us this earth to use, and one day we fail to understand that it's going to be burned up. I always love to tell the people that come to the door and ask to sign certain things, you know, save the trees and the whales and everything else. And, and I'll always tell them, you know, I'm not much interested in that. I mean, I, I think we should be good stewards of what God has entrusted to us. Don't get me wrong. We shouldn't abuse it. But on the other hand, um, do you know what the Bible says is going to happen to this world one day? Well, the Bible says, yeah, the Bible says. The Bible says that it's going to be burned up. And you think we're causing a little bit of impact on the earth. Wait till God gets done with it. There's not going to be anything left. And they just kind of look at you and run away, you know. <laughs> think you're some kind of crazy nut. But it's the most precious reality on earth. And then the last thing we looked at last week was the church is an earthly expression of heaven, or it should be. <laughs> It should be. All churches need to work on making their church an earthly expression of heaven. It's sad when you talk to people who are not part of the church. Oh, I'd never come to church. You know, a bunch of hypocrites, a bunch of people in there. I say, yeah, well, it doesn't hurt to have one more. You know, come on in. We'll welcome you. We're just a bunch of sinners saved by God's grace. We're not perfect. No churches. In Acts chapter 20, verse 28, here's what it tells us about the church. It says, Be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock, among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, to shepherd the church of God which He purchased with His own blood. That makes the church special to God. That it took the precious blood of Christ, as we will be celebrating community at the close of our message here. It took His blood, it took His perfect sacrifice to purchase us, to pay for our sin and our iniquity, and to wash us white as snow. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 9 to 11, it tells this about the church. It says, we are God's fellow workers. You are God's building. We are God's building, beloved. According to the grace of God which was given to me, Paul says, as a wise master builder, I laid a foundation, and another is building upon it. But let each man be careful how he builds upon it. For no man can lay a foundation other than the one which is laid, which is who? Jesus Christ. 
Sometimes modern day churches forget that that this church is Christ. It's not one individual's. It's not a group of people. He is the foundation of his church. And we need to remind ourselves of these things. In Colossians chapter 1, verse 18, it says, He also is the head of the body, the church. Speaking of Christ, He is the beginning and the firstborn from the dead, so that He Himself might come to have first place in everything, including the church. He continues in chapter 2, verse 19, Hold fast to the head from whom the entire body being supplied and held together by the joints and ligaments grows with a growth which is from God. See, the church is God's deal. It's not ours. We're part of it. But as soon as we begin to think that we own the church or that our church is the church, or we're, we're missing the mark. And we need to remind ourselves that, that God is in the business of growing His church. God has given our church here at Grace Bible Church many, obviously, clearly wonderful people. And we thank the Lord for that. People that know how to serve God, a lot of churches, it's, you know, yeah, you got 10% of the people doing 90% of the work. Not in this church. I'm just telling you, if you're visiting here, this is a church where, where, where people pitch in, they help out, they serve the Lord. Not to be seen, but because God has called them to do that. But even in a small church like ours, I know there's people that, that come to church just because it's convenient to do so. I mean, maybe going to church on their list is a... Low priority, so if something else pops up, well then, you know, uh, going to church doesn't really make much sense. One of the members of Crystal's church, when we were back there, I was talking to him after church, and she said, you're on vacation, you still came to church. I said, well, yeah. (laughs) You know, it's the only time I get to go to another church. I want to see what's going on. But I know a lot of Christians, before they go on, on vacation, they don't look for an opportunity to fellowship with people in another part of the country or maybe their vacation spot or whatever. They look for an opportunity. Hey, you know what? Sleep in on Sunday. How sad is that? We should always take advantage of the opportunity to gather together as believers for His glory. I mean, we live in a very consumer-driven society today. Everybody, you know, is, is, is looking at what they can get out of something. And that's the same with the church. That consumer mentality shows up in our churches. People come to church, so, you know, the, depending on what they can get out. Well, does the pastor preach a good message? Or do they sing my special song? Or were the singers all on key? Or, or was the food good afterwards? Or, or whatever. And they come to get. That's not the reason you go to church, beloved. A lot of people don't understand the loyalty of supporting a local church, supporting the one who's speaking, whether it's pastor, elder, whoever. I pray that you pray for your leadership in this this church. We need your prayers desperately. I pray that even as you're listening, you're praying for me as I'm preaching this message. I don't take that for granted. I I don't take that lightly either. I'm grateful when someone comes up and says, hey, you know what? I'm praying for you this week. There's a lot of people that are quick to criticize, but there's not a lot of people that are quick to pray. We need to pray for those who serve within the church, not just the pastor, but the Sunday school teachers and those who help out in the fellowship hall and the nursery, those who clean the church during the week, those who serve as elders and finance committees and missions boards and all sorts of different things. We need to be praying for these people. Some people come to church and they just see what goes on and think, wow, that's, that's really neat. And they think somehow that just happens every week. Well, it doesn't. There's people that put time in to to make the food happen on Sunday morning or put time in to clean the nursery or to clean the the seats, the the carpet under your feet, whatever it might be. There's people that do that. And they need you to be praying for them. We need to be part of that. We need to use our gifts 
and serve the church. And we're going to be talking about that in two weeks. What does that look like? How, what do you mean by that? How do you use your gift? What, what is a spiritual gift? Do you know what your spiritual gift is? We're going to be covering that two weeks from now. But I want you to turn over to first, or Second Peter. Second Peter <coughs> chapter 1. Because some of the things that I'm going to share with you this morning, no doubt, are familiar to you. They're not new. But I like this verse in 2 Peter chapter 1. Look at verse 12. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 12. He writes, therefore, I intend always to remind you of these qualities. If you want to know what they are, you can just go back and read those. But though you know them and are established in the truth that you have. I think it right. As long as I am in this body to stir you up. By way of reminder. Since I know that putting off of my body will be soon as our Lord Jesus Christ made clear to me, and I will make every effort so that my departure, so after my departure, you may be able at any time to recall these things. He wanted them to understand that, hey, what I'm about to tell you, what I've just explained to you, is old news. It's something you heard before, but it's something we need to hear over and over and over again. And so this morning, I want to talk to you about the priorities of the church. The priorities of the church. What's important within a local church? What do we here at Grace Bible Church put our efforts into? What are the things that are unalterable, the things that are uncompromisable in any way? We're a church that's committed to these things. We believe in these things. It doesn't mean we're perfect, but we, we wholeheartedly try to filter things, ministries, everything through these, these items that I'm going to share with you this morning. They're non-negotiables. I think the first thing, and you see it there in your outline, is a high view of God. A high view of God. And you say, well, what do you mean by that? See, it's absolutely essential that the church understand that it's here not for its own glory. We're not here to build a name for ourselves or to, to, to do something like that. We're here for God's glory and His glory alone. Unfortunately, there's a lot of churches in America today that have uh, not carried that understanding through. And they've become churches that are focused on a program or churches that are focused on an individual or a man And the churches of today, a lot of them think that it's their role, it's their goal to basically make you feel better about yourself. So when you come in here Sunday morning, at least if you leave feeling better about yourself, that's a good thing. So it plays all this psychological games and, 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 and gives people different things to kind of help them to feel better. But that's not a priority. We're not here to make you feel better. That's not our priority. The church has been reduced from really something that God has created. That he desires to honor and glorify him in every way, simply to an organization. With an organizational structure and everything's in its place. But I'm here to tell you, if you know and you glorify God and you live for Him, you're going to feel good about yourself. You're going to feel good about yourself. What's Proverbs 9.10 say? Proverbs 9.10 says, the fear of the Lord is what? The beginning of wisdom. See, when you have the right relationship with God, everything else just falls into its proper place. Somehow we forget that. Now, we're not to ignore people's needs. You know, we're, we're not here to, you know, boy, I'm going through a tough time. I don't want to hear it. Just glorify God. No, I understand. Sometimes you need somebody to come alongside of you and counsel you and talk to you and pray with you. 
We're to be as connected as the people of God as we can be to one another. So that we're meeting each other's needs. And that's what's always been neat about our church is that sometimes needs go met. I didn't even know there was a need. Somebody had mentioned, oh yeah, you know, we cook some meals for so-and-so. And and what's wrong with so-and-so? I didn't even know they were sick. And we're just a small little church. But you know what? That's good. That things are being done, they're being needs are being met amongst the body. And it's done for his glory. So the needs are important, but it has to be balanced out with a high view of God. What do I mean by that? What do I mean by a high view of God? I simply mean that you, you understand that God is so much higher than us. We live in a culture today that, you know, it's the man upstairs or the, the, the old man or whatever you want to call him. I mean, we've, we've designate, brought God down to our level somehow, and we think that, oh, he's just, you know, this angry man with a big stick that's going to hit us when we do something fun. That's not the God we serve. I mean, sometimes I hear this, you know, even as a chaplain. Well, how could God allow this to happen? Somebody dies or somebody disease-ridden or something. How, how could God allow this to happen? And I, I, I want to turn to them and say, you know, what are we even doing standing here talking, being alive ourselves? The Lord being as holy as he, as he is, he could have destroyed all of us when we first fell into sin. But it's because of his grace that we're just here even talking about this. But we think somehow that we know better than God, so we can work out our circumstances better than him. And we don't, a lot of times, trust in him. There's a lot of pastors today, unfortunately, that have taken God down off his throne and turned turned him into a little servant who has to do everything they say, everything they tell him to do, in Jesus' name, by the way. I mean, people are irreverent today. They don't know how to worship God. I mean, some think that, you know, worshiping God means you come, you play some music, and you get a little warm fuzzy down your tummy, and you walk away and go, oh, that was a wonderful worship service. I even cried. That may be part of worship, but that's not what worship is about in its entirety. I think today our churches are are filled with too many Marthas and not enough Marys. We don't know what it means to come and sit at the feet of Christ and just, just worship Him. Because we're all so busy. We're busy with some good things. Some of us are busy serving the Lord. But sometimes we need to stop. And we need to just bow down and, 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 and be at his feet. We don't know what it means to tremble at the word of God anymore. We think, oh yeah, the good book, you know. We don't allow ourselves to be confronted by God's holiness. And with our sinfulness. Um, because we want to feel good about ourselves. We don't want to look at our sin and, and, and God's holiness. That doesn't make us feel good. We want to have our needs and our problems solved. We want to allow the church to somehow be replaced by some religious psychology. It's sad today. I mean, in a lot of different faith ministries, you ask people, what's... What's the biggest need people have? Oh, the family. The family. We gotta, and I'm thinking, I mean, good night. Go into any Christian bookstore and just look on the, the family section. I mean, there's hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of books that have been written on this subject. And yet it still kind of tickles their ears and it still kind of draws them in. Hey, I'm a big family guy. I, I think the family's important, clearly. But somehow, Satan has kind of crept into the church and he's got our eyes off the ball. He's allowed us to be caught up with these side issues, whether it's family or finance or marriage or whatever. And all these these ways of trying to attack these problems that people can't solve, they're, they're given almost kind of like little placebos. Here, this will make you feel better. Just, just take this and, and go home and, and uh, you'll, you'll do better. 
In the book of James, James chapter 4, it shows us why it's important to have a high view of God. James chapter 4, verse 8, it says, Draw near to God and He will what? Draw near to you. I mean, aren't you the kind of person that you would like to live your life with God near you? Versus Him apart from you? I mean, most people, given the option, would say, Yeah, I would like to be close to God. I would like to draw near to God. And it says, he will draw close to you. He will come near to you. But a lot of people say, you know, when I get near to God, I get a little uh, skittish, a little nervous. Well, look at what James 4.8 says. It also says, what? Cleanse your hands. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Right? See, the closer you get To God, beloved, what happens? The more you see your sin. Because God is holy, we're not. The closer we get to God in our relationship, the more we see our sin. I mean, how many of us have been walking with the Lord for for years? And we know our sins are forgiven, we know all that, but you know what? Hey, we still struggle in areas. And we think, man, is this ever going to end? And it becomes more glaring and glaring as you live out your life. The more mature you grow in your faith with the Lord. The closer you get to God, the more you see your sin. And that should cause us to humble ourselves. That should cause us to mourn over our sin, to be broken over our sin. Not to look at it and go, oh, big deal, Jesus paid for my sins, oh, who cares? James 4.10 says that when you have humbled yourself before the Lord, what's he do? Does he, does he put his big boot on your head and squash you down further? No. That's not the kind of God we serve. What does it say? It says that he shall what? Lift you up. He will lift you up. See, that's the wonderful thing about the Christian life. The way up is down. And you try to lift yourself up, what happens? You get, you, you get put down pretty quick. But if you humble yourself, God will exalt you. He will lift you up. And we have to take Him seriously. We have to come together as a body of believers. And our desire on Sunday morning should be to exalt Christ, to exalt God. We don't want to be a man-centered church. We don't want to be a problem-centered church. We don't want to be an issue-centered church. We want to be a Christ-centered church. We're to reach out to everyone in the love of Christ. But God is to be the focus of our worship in our life, clearly. See, I think sometimes we look at the Bible, unfortunately, as a book of formulas. We look at the Bible as this, this quick fix thing. Oh, I'm having problems with you know, my marriage. Oh, I'll go to Ephesians 5, or I'll go here, I'll go there and see what that says. And, I'll just, you know, and so we, we, we look at it that way. A bunch of formulas to solve our problems. But you know what this book is, beloved? This book reveals the very God that saved us to us. It takes the veil away. It shows us His character, His nature, His attributes. That brings us to the second non-negotiable truth that the church must lay its foundation on, and that's simply... Not only a high view of God, but the absolute authority of Scripture. I mean, either you believe this book to be the Word of God or you don't. I don't believe you can take bits and pieces and say, well, I believe this part, I don't believe that. That's why it's so important in my mind when we teach the Word of God to teach through the Bible. Because you know what happens to me when I teach through a book of the Bible? There's certain passages in certain books. It's like, oh man, I don't even want to talk about this. I, I don't. I don't even understand it. First of all, it's going to take a long time for me to understand it. But then once I understand it, it turns into be a big controversial mess. And you got everybody, you know, all these brainiacs telling you, oh, I believe this, I believe that about that passage. And somehow you got to work it through. It forces you to stay in the text when you're teaching through a book of the Bible. 
We wouldn't do that if we didn't believe in the authority of Scripture. See, today there's a lot of undermining of God's Word going on, to be honest. The Bible constantly is being attacked. I mean, you can go to some major seminaries and you have theologians that actually teach in those seminaries and they'll tell you, well, you know, I I think it's okay for two men to have a homosexual relationship. I mean, after all, Jesus never really mentioned that. What? You know, if a person wants to advocate that view, well, it's okay. See, to me, that's inconsistent with someone who puts their faith and trust in a God who gave them a book and said, hey, this is my word. The Bible is being attacked that way. It's being attacked head on. People attack the Bible even, I think, even in the the modern day charismatic movement. You have these people saying, oh, I got this vision. I have this revelation. Well, what are they doing? They're taken away from this book. When you have certain individuals that... Oh, you know, God spoke to me, his word, and here's what he said. Thus saith the Lord. Well, what are they doing? They're adding to the pages of Scripture. I don't think that's an option, personally. I think the canon is closed. I read about a pastor who's told that his, somebody in his church went to him and Said, hey, you know, every every morning when I shave, Jesus is right there. He appears and he's right there with me. And the pastor said, Do you keep on shaving? I mean, are you telling me that Jesus Christ appears in your bathroom while you're shaving and, and you're not on the floor before him? Come on. See, we get all this kind of outside stuff going on. And we have to be willing to uphold. The Word of God. I mean, it was Jesus Himself in Matthew 4, 4 that said, Man shall not live by what? Bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. See, if we are fed by every word that comes out of the mouth of God, then it's just my understanding, maybe we ought to study every word. So maybe then just kind of saying, okay, I'm going to preach on finances this week, or I'm going to preach on family this week, or I'm going to, I, want to, I want to know what the text says. I don't want to go off on my own little you know, ride. I want to be constrained to the text of Scripture because it's God's Word, and I fully believe that. We must must teach the Bible. And you hear people say, well, you know, today in in our culture and everything, people don't have an appetite for that. You're not going to grow a big church just teaching the Bible. I don't really care. You know, it doesn't say that you're going to have an appetite for it. I mean, you give kids vitamins and you make them eat their vegetables and all that. Sometimes they don't like it, but you make them do it. Why? Because you know it's good for them. You hear people say, I don't want to hear another. I just want to, I just want to fellowship, you know. I mean, hopefully you have fellowship around the word of God, beloved. Hopefully you understand that. Occasionally, you even hear people say, oh, you know, oh, you're going through First John. I've already been through there, done that. I'm going, whoa. A little prideful. You mean you know everything there is to know about the book of First John or whatever it might be? You couldn't be taught anything more? God couldn't take his word through his Holy Spirit and maybe lift you up and exalt you and build you up in your inner man through his word by attending a Bible study maybe you've already been through? Is that what you're telling me? Boy. The height of pride. The neat thing about the Bible is the process never ends, beloved. I mean, you can, you can read through a book and you can read through it again and again and you're going to see new things because it's a supernatural book. It's not like you're reading a novel. Every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God is important. And it's important to understand that he gave us his word to be studied, to be taught, to be preached. Thirdly, not only a high view of God and 
the absolute authority of Scripture, understanding that this is God's Word. But out of that comes simply this, sound doctrine. Sound doctrine. You mentioned the word doctrine, and some people, oh, oh, man, not doctrine. Oh, boring. Are you serious? Do you know what doctrine is? Doctrine, theology, is, is understanding who God is. It's getting to know God. The teachings of the Word of God make up sound doctrine. We don't make our own doctrine up. That would be dangerous. Some people do. (laughs) But there's a lot of Christians today that are vague, purposely, about doctrine. They don't want to divide the body of Christ, so they're very vague. Now, I'll give you this. There are some issues in the Bible that aren't clearly kind of delineated for us. And so, you know, you could go either way on. But that's not a majority of them. That's not a majority by far. The problem is people don't want to take the time to understand what the words are saying within the Word of God. So they just say, well, some people believe this, some people believe that. You can believe whatever you want. (laughs) That's scary. Because I think doctrine is important. I think doctrine builds that foundation. I mean, sometimes you need to be explained about the truths of God. You need to understand life and heaven and hell and man and sin and Christ and angels and the Holy Spirit. And all that comes from a study of God's Word because it's all contained in it. We have to understand those truths. We have to hold on to those truths. That's why it's important to understand the principles of the Bible, not the principles of, of some guy. You read the text, you find out what it says, you find out what it means, you draw out whatever truth is there, and you establish that truth in your mind, in your life, and you live by it. First Timothy says, If you put the brethren in remembrance of these things, you will be a good minister of Jesus Christ, nourished up in the words of faith. And of good doctrine, the words there, unto which you have attained. So don't believe the lie from the enemy that, oh, you know, doctrine is not important. We just all got to join hands, sing kumbaya, and love Jesus, and love each other, and everything's going to work out. No, God's a God of order. Doesn't mean that we have to think we know it all and, and we have the only corner on the truth. I'm not saying that by any means. But don't ever downplay the issue of doctrine and understanding it. I mean, when I first came to this church, one of the early books I taught through was the book of Ephesians. And the reason I taught through that, (coughs) it was kind of by mistake, to be honest, but it really helped establish in the mind of not only me, but the congregation, our position in Christ. Who we are in Christ. It's foundational to the church. If you don't know who you are in Christ, you're going to have a hard time living your Christian walk. I mean, Satan's just going to be able to beat you up left and right. But when you understand your position in Christ, you understand that you need solid doctrine and you build your life on that. It makes it a lot harder for the enemy to take advantage of you. It just does. I mean, so many times I have people, you know, they'll ask, hey, do you have any books on um, angels? Or do you have any books on demons? Or well, why? Well, I'm doing a study on, on angels and demons. Really? But I don't have any books on them. I'm like, hmm, you got one book. Maybe start right here. That would be a good start. Starting point. See, we're so easy to, to, to kind of overlook this book that God has given to us and the doctrine that it contains. We need to learn the solid content of the Bible. I mean, we are called Grace Bible Church, right? We want to keep it the center of all that we do. Fourthly, fourth non-negotiable priority of a church, and this gets a little personal, personal holiness Personal holiness. I mean, we live 
in a society that is totally unholy. Would you agree with that? I mean, just watching the Super Bowl today, you know, you're going to see things that are just, you know, I mean, you'd probably blush if I put them up here on the projector and commercials and all that kind of thing. That's just the world we live in. Um, and you think of the effect on people's minds, on all that stuff. Now, I'm not saying don't watch the Super Bowl. Okay, I'm not saying that. But I'm just saying we have to be aware of that. And we have to be careful what we put through our ear gate and our, our eye gate and, and what goes into our mind. We just have to be so careful of that. Because people's minds, beloved, have been so corrupted. They've been drawn away from God. They haven't been drawing near to God. They draw, they're drawn away from God by all that. One teacher said, yeah, it's kind of like a broken sewer. Then he said, well, it's not really, the sewer's not broken. It's just completely shattered. And the stuff's gone everywhere. See, we have to draw lines in our own personal walk, in our own personal lives when it comes to personal holiness. We have to be careful what we expose ourselves to and, and what we expose our children to. Even more important. Christians are called to live a pure life. You can't compromise that. You can't get around that. 2 Corinthians 7.1 says, Having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness, what? In the fear of God, it says. 2 Corinthians 7.1. Matthew 18 speaks of church discipline. It should be enforced. Within a church. I mean, if, if we know someone who is in act of sin within our body, unrepentant sin, we'll, we'll approach them in a loving way. But we'll approach them. We'll, that sin will be confronted. Now, a lot of people don't like that. They like to go to a big church where you can just hide away in a pew somewhere and nobody knows whether you're there or not. That's okay. But it's not real good for your spiritual growth. And I think we need to be a little more concerned about our own personal holiness. Personal prayer is one thing that cultivates holiness. Let me just ask you this morning, you know, what's your study of the Word of God like? What's your prayer life like? How often do you just find yourself sitting down and meditating on the Word of God? Um, I mean, I have to prepare a message every week. And you know what? I fall short in this area. I just do. Because when I'm, I'm in the Word of God, I'm preparing something. I'm doing something that needs to be done. Seldom do I find myself just kind of sitting at the feet of God, relaxing, and kind of just basking in His holiness. And this isn't just for church leaders, beloved. It's for everybody within the church. We can't have half-committed Christian lives and expect God's work to be done in the society in which we live. It's very important, that issue of personal holiness. Ask yourself this morning, how, how am I doing in that area? Especially as we come before the communion table. The Word of God says that we should examine ourselves. That we should kind of do a heart check, say, where, where am I at? Is everything in order? See, the neat thing is, if, if you're coming up short and if you're going, no, nah, i got some issues... Well, you know what? Even while you're sitting there listening to me, you can be communicating to the Lord, confessing those sins, thanking Him for His forgiveness, and being good to go. If it comes from a sincere heart, you don't have to jump through a bunch of hoops. You don't have to say a bunch of prayers. You don't do any of that stuff. That's the neat thing about being within the church, being under the covering of the church, under the covering of Christ, is your sins are forgiven. You're not perfect by any means. That's why 1 John 1.9 says what? If we, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and he's what? Just to forgive us our sins. And not only that, but cleanse us from all unrighteousness. What a wonderful relationship we have with our God. Because we're part of the church. See, all that happens within the church. 
I don't mean this church. I mean the universal church of Christ. If you're not part of the church this morning, you don't have part of God's grace. You don't have part of God's forgiveness. You don't have part of God, period. You're removed from him. Your sin has kind of breached that relationship. And it needs to be dealt with. It needs to be forgiven. And you can waste hours and hours trying to pine away and figure out how you can get your sin forgiven. Or you can try to work it off or whatever you're trying to do. But that's not going to work. Because God says there's only, there's only one way that this forgiveness can be obtained. And that's through the work of his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And when you come to the cross and you bow your knee and you bow your life before God and you say, you know what, I want Christ in my life. My sin is making me miserable. I don't want to be miserable anymore. I want to have a relationship with the God that created me, that knows me best. God, you said that that's through your son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, I'm going to come to him and I'm going to yield my life to him. Ask him to be my Lord and my Savior. Turn away from my sin. Turn to him and trust him for the future. You know what? He'll answer that prayer. He's not going to make you into some weird religious fanatic that's, you know, odd. That's not the way God deals with us. He's going to forgive your sin and he's going to change your heart. He's going to help you understand who he is. For the first time, you'll be able to worship him in spirit and in truth. When you put your faith and trust in Christ, you become part of the church. Last thing I want to mention this morning, it's a vital priority for any church, is spiritual authority. Spiritual authority. Um. When people hear the word spiritual, they're okay. But as soon as they hear the word authority, they kind of go, oh, I don't like that word. You know, and a lot of people don't like that word. Well, what's the office of spiritual leaders? What, what is that? What is that all about? See, the church has to understand first and foremost that Christ is the head of the church. It's not an individual. It's not a person. Sometimes I even catch myself. You know, you're... You're talking to another pastor or something. You say, yeah, my church. And I'll go, it's, it's not my church, but you know what I mean. And you catch yourself. Or, you know, hey, you're inviting somebody. Oh, would you like to come to my church? You know, we got to be careful with that because that's a mentality. And we have to understand that it's not my church. It's not your church. It's Christ's church. He's the head of it. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 22 tells us clearly. That Christ is the head of the church. It says right there. And he put all things under his feet. He, God, put all things under Christ's feet. And gave him as head over all things. What? To the church. Then if you look at chapter 4 of Ephesians. Verse 15. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into Him, Jesus, who is the head, into Christ. Grow up into God, who is the head, Christ. So that's important for us to understand. That Christ is the head of the church. But He he delegates, He mediates His rule, the Bible says, through what is called eldership. Elders. The ruling spiritual authority in a church. You can see that in 1 Thessalonians 5 and Hebrews 13. I mean, that's what the Bible teaches. You say, well, why do some churches, they don't have elders? I don't know. To be honest with you, I, I can't understand it. I mean, it's right there in Scripture. It's very plain. The Bible says that elders have the rule over the congregation in the Lord. They have authority over that local church. Now, that authority can be abused. And that has to be dealt with. But they are simply supposed to handle the authority of the word of God. You know, and, and that's the role of an elder within the church. is to watch out for the flock, to guard the flock, to teach them the word of God. That's, that's what an elder does, to care, to shepherd. 
And the only authority they have comes from the word of God. It's not an office they hold or anything like that. It comes from the word of God. It's given to them by the Lord himself. And I think sometimes, unfortunately, when you have elders and church leadership that go beyond that authority of the word of God, then all of a sudden that becomes meddling, you see. Then they're abusing their authority. They're thinking everybody has to do what they say. Well, no. That's not the role of a church leader and elder. But that obedience to that leadership that God has put in place is expected. The role of the spiritual leader is to help people get back on the right track with the Lord, to move on for the glory of God. We're to submit to our leaders within the church. Even as elders, we submit to one another. In our church, as an elder board, we we have a belief that we have to be unanimous on anything. Or we don't make that decision. If God's telling me something different, and he's telling the elder something else different, and he's telling somebody else something else different, well, then, you know, we're not going to proceed with that decision. We're going to table it and say, you know what? Till God works out this misunderstanding, you know, we don't vote and say, okay, hey, we beat you, ha ha. You know, that's not how it works. We believe that God works through his people, through his leadership. And that's what's exemplified for us in the the New Testament. We see that over and over and over again. And different elders have different giftings and they're used by God in different ways. So that's that's important for us to understand. It's, It's important for us to understand that those... Those priorities within the church, the high view of God, the absolute authority of Scripture, the sound doctrine, the idea that we're accountable for our own personal holiness, and to have spiritual authority that we respect and, and obey in the Lord. If we, if we understand those concepts, if we understand those principles and we, we adhere our life by them, then, you know what, that's going to make operation within the church a lot smoother when everybody's on the same page. So if the church is going to be the body of Christ, it has to have the right structure, you might say. And those things just kind of fill that structure out. And I pray that as we, in a couple weeks, we're going to look at, well, where do the people fit into all this? The uncompromised church. Well, I think God calls God's people within his church to be a lot of different things, humble and serving and different things. And we're going to be looking at that and how you're part of that. Because it's one thing just to come to church. It's another thing to be part of a church, to be part of its workings and its inworkings and to understand what's going on and to be praying for it and serving it. You know, that's what honors Christ. That's what honors God. And then the world looks at it and goes, wow, what's going on over there? And that's, that's what it's all about, is seeing the lost come under that awesome glory of God as they, they see his hand and his outworking in the local church. Well, I want to read a, a portion of Scripture before we uh, have our communion time together. And then we'll uh, have the men come forward and... Uh, sing a hymn and distribute the uh, elements and we do the, the cracker first and if anybody's visiting here, this is open to all believers. You don't have to be a member of our church or whatever. If you're a member of his church, Christ's church, if you're a believer, we would uh, uh, ask you to partake with us. And if you're not, then really this doesn't mean a whole lot to you. So um, we would just ask that you pass those elements on. This, isn't, uh, this is a symbol of our faith in Christ. Um, this doesn't save you. The Lord's table is, is a time when we remember what was done for us. It isn't a means of grace in our lives. Um, and that's important to understand that. So if you're a believer here today, we welcome you to partake with us in a few moments. But in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul writes, For in the first place, when you come together as a church, in verse 18, I hear that there are divisions among you, and I believe that in part. For there must be factions among you in order that those who are genuine among you be recognized. When you come together 
It is not the Lord's supper that you eat. For in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry, another gets drunk. What, do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I commend you for this? Why will not? Verse 23, For I have received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus Christ, on the night that he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Whoever therefore eats and eats the bread and drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person therefore examine himself and so eat the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many of you are weak and ill and some have died. But if we judge ourselves, truly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. So then, my brothers, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. If anyone is hungry, let him eat at home. So that when you come together, it will not be for judgment. I'll set the other things in order when I come. Father, we pray that we would be a church that's guided by your priorities, the priorities we see in your word. Lord, as individuals, one of those priorities is personal holiness. And Father, we all falter in that area on occasion. And Father, we thank you for your grace and your forgiveness that we can claim here this morning as a result of your son's gift to us and his sacrifice on Calvary. And so, Father, you know the hearts of the people who are gathered here this morning. And so, Lord, I just pray that each one would be clear in their understanding of their relationship before you today. And, Father, if, if they don't have that relationship, Lord, it's never too late to cry out to you. To, Father, to, to, to cry out merciful. Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. Save me by your grace, God, I pray. It's a prayer that God will, will answer when it's prayed from a truly repentant, sorrowful heart. And so, Father, we pray that you would just bless our communion time together as the body of Christ. As we partake of this cracker and drink of this juice, that we remember the sacrifice that you did for us on Calvary. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.